Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You know, sometimes when we read certain passages of Scripture and we're trying to discern what we're hearing or what the Lord might be saying to us, it's interesting to just watch the various faces in the congregation. Like, for example, when we were reading through this passage in 1 Corinthians, I saw some people going like this, and I saw some people kind of like their eyes glaze over. You know what I mean by that? And it's because certain passages of Scripture we recognize are familiar for us or we resonate with. They catch our attention. But other passages of Scripture, they just go right over our heads for one reason or another. Maybe there's words in there that, like, we just turn off immediately. We just don't pay attention because it doesn't apply to us. You know what I mean? Like, like the word slave. It's not a word that most of you have really experienced. I don't care what your spouse or your parents were like, okay? It's not a word that most of you have experienced. Circumcision, that rules out half of you automatically, okay? Oh, you're getting that one now, right? So the reality is that there are certain passages in Scripture we just, just kind of let roll off without really catching what they say. But it's true of other areas and avenues of life. You know, someone might be sharing with you something that happened to them or something they've experienced that really, in some ways, you can relate to, but in other ways, you really can't relate to. I was visiting this week uh, someone in our congregation who's going through some health challenges right now, can't get to worship. She's going to be 90 this year. And uh, just a wonderful lady, and we were visiting, and uh, we were talking about, you know, with her health challenges and living in her home and, you know, some of the challenges she faced and struggles. And, and she said, but I don't want to move out of my house. She said, I've got friends that are trying to get me to move to Seabrook or Tide Point or Cypress, and I just don't want to move out of my house. And she started telling me the reasons why. And yet at the t- same time, she's saying, I'm lonely. And I'm trying to understand and relate to that. So I said to her, you know, one of the things I have that you don't is I have someone that I live with that we talk with regularly, that we bounce things off of, that we make plans together and you don't have that anymore because she lost her husband a few years ago. And she said, exactly. Now, even though I could identify some of the emotions that she was experiencing, I've not been through them. I've not been through the loss of a child, and I can't imagine. We have people in our congregation who have lost children. I can't imagine that. I mean, there are aspects that we can try to relate to with one another, but we're not going to fully grasp the impact. And 
that's true of a lot of aspects of life. But when you hear a passage like this that makes reference to slave and, and circumcision, what is it saying to you? And why is Paul writing this as if you should begin to wrestle with and understand what it is he's writing? Even though you may not have been a slave. Even though you might not understand the point or, or, or anything about circumcision or why they did it or what the background is. But is there a lesson in here for me? And I think sometimes instead of wrestling with Scripture or allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us, we just automatically move on. Instead of trying to enter in and figure out what it's saying. And yet, at times in our lives, we put ourselves in position because we want to embrace the whole thing. Let me give you an example. When you go to a movie, or when you read a book, think how much, if you like the book, you get drawn in, and your imagination takes hold, and you begin to maybe even experience the emotion of whatever it is you're doing. When you go to a theater, you enter this space that becomes black, it becomes dark so that there's no distraction, so you get drawn into the story. And probably most of us have not been spies or dealt with terrorists, and yet we relate to the story. We get drawn into the suspense. When Meredith and I are watching a movie like that, at times she'll grab onto me at the end of the movie. She says, I can't calm down, you know, because we get so drawn into the movie, the suspense, the thrill of the movie. And yet we haven't done it. Why is that? It's what the goal of the author of the book or the storyteller behind the movie is trying to do, whether it be a love story or whether it be a thriller. They're trying to draw you in. And you are willing to be drawn in. You're willing to invest a couple of hours, not even counting traveling time, to be drawn into this. My son Aaron, at one time, we thought he was going to be a movie critic. He goes to all the different movies, and then he gives us his review on the movie. And actually, one of the things we've discovered with that is we do not have the same tastes at times. But he'll be telling us, and he, and he, and he will stop, and he will say, Dad... You can't just wait for the DVD to come out and rent it. You've got to go to the movie theater. Why? Well, because you won't get the full impact. What's he saying? He's saying you put yourself in a place where you're really going to get drawn in, where you're really going to feel the impact. See, I like the convenience of stopping the movie when I need to for one reason or another. But I understand what he's saying. Why don't we do that with Scripture? You'll go to a sporting event, and even though you can watch it on TV, it's not the same unless you go and you do the tailgate and you go to the you go to the sporting event and you you know you do the whole thing to to live into that. And we will invest hours and resources and we'll plan. Why? Because we want to experience it, because we want to be part of it. What about Scripture? What about the Word of God? 
for your life. For the transformation of your life, for the transformation of your heart. Because that's really what Scripture is all about. And so we need to sometimes wrestle with what it is we have before us. And say, how does this work for me? What is Paul trying to say? And sometimes we need, you know, sometimes when you read a book, you, you need a little help understanding what it says. Sometimes you need a commentary. It's okay to go and get the help that you need to find out what it's saying because the Lord wants to speak into your life. Sometimes you need to pause and say, Holy Spirit, open my eyes, open my heart to what it is that you want to tell me, how you want to change my life with this word. And this is one of those passages when you really begin to wrestle with and understand. And it really can touch your life. Even though at first glance it looks like, eh, I don't know. But we need to set the stage. We need to have the background. Much like a movie and a book often does, it sets the stage. It gives you the scene. The scene. Corinth. Corinth is party town. It's where people would seek pleasure to have fun. They liked the good life. They wanted the best things. If you look at the Corinthian columns, for example, they're the most ornate. And so the people would oftentimes compare not only their own lives to each other, but compare things to each other in order to determine what is the best or what brings them the most pleasure or happiness. And so Paul starts off his letter to the Corinthians and he says, you've got people there that are making that are making judgments between Jew and Gentile that really aren't helpful because they don't really matter, which is what he gets into here. In fact, he even uses the term at one point, barbarian, in re reference to those who are non-Jews. Because for Jews who lived under the law, who were the covenant people, any other language just didn't resonate with them, and sometimes it was just almost like mumbling that this bar, 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 that's where the word barbarian came from. And so it's kind of a put-down term. But they're saying it does, Paul's saying it doesn't really matter whether you're Jew or Greek because the message that's essential is what you need to go after. And then he also writes early on that there were people who were saying, you know, well, I'm of the Cephas or the Peter party or I'm of the Paul party or I'm from the Apollos party. Apollos was this wonderful, great preacher. Or I'm of the... Christ party, of course, if we go straight to Christ, then we're really the best of all. And they're trying to compare themselves to each other. And he's saying, that's not what you need. You want to compare yourself to someone? Compare yourself to Jesus. It is so easy to compare ourselves to each other. Well, you know, I'm better than so-and-so. Well, I got my act together. Who are you comparing to? See, because if we compare our lives to Jesus in terms of what love really looks like, in terms of what holiness really looks like, that will begin to give you a mindset 
as to what the challenge is before us as we seek to be transformed into the image of Christ. As we seek to become more loving, generous, kind, patient people. That's the measure. So right off the bat, Paul's saying, don't compare. That's the context as he writes to the Corinthians. And then this first line that you run into in your scripture reading for today, lead a life that God has assigned to you. Now, let me just also say, that doesn't mean that you use your life as an excuse. You know, like, when people get a little older, they say, you know, that's just the way I am, as if that makes it okay. (laughs) It might not be okay. It might not have anything to do with being Christ-like. And yet we want to use it as an excuse because that's just the way I am. Is that the life that God has assigned to you? Well, it might be where you are at this point, but I think that God would have more for you. Amen. So you can say that I was dealt this in my family background, or I had these bad breaks go against, whatever it is. You know, God has assigned to you a specific situation in life that is like no other. Which means you have the opportunity to touch lives around you that no one else will touch because of your unique personality and opportunities and gifts and trainings. That's why God made you who you are in this position. It doesn't mean that He doesn't want you to change to become more Christ-like in that position. Learning what that means. In other words, don't compare about if I only had that job, if I only had that house, if I only had that position, if I only had been dealt a different family, whatever it is you want to compare, that's not the point. God wants you to be transformed for who you are. And use the gifts and opportunities and abilities He's given to you. Whatever that might be. So Paul says, each of you have been assigned to your position. It's not, I'm okay, you're okay. It's not it. Both of us are not okay. But God wants to make us more and more in the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That I have a need for a Savior just like you do. And I have a need for the Holy Spirit just like you do. In order to be transformed into the image of Christ. So we don't use our situation in life as an excuse. So I guess into this whole notion and idea of circumcision, why does he bring that up at this point? Because part of the challenge with where you've been assigned, some people were assigned, if you will, as Jews, and therefore the circumcision people, the ones who were under the law, God's chosen people, the one who had the covenant with God. And then you have the non-circumcised people. And Paul's saying, don't envy each other. You know, just because you're not part of God's chosen people in background and pedigree, God chose you in Jesus Christ. 
Even though you might not have one of those stories of saved from the gutter, I was such a horrible person and Christ came into my life and transformed me and I, now I have this wonderful testimony. You know how we sometimes compare that to, well, you were a sinner. You think you were a sinner. Well, let me tell you about me. <laughs> we can play that game on both sides. Paul talks about that in Philippians 3. When he starts listing all these things about his pedigree in Christ, which he counts as nothing because it's all about Christ. Because his Jewish background, all the things that would have for a Jew led up to him being the best person. Under the covenant, he says, it's not worth anything because of Jesus Christ. That's what matters. Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross in my place for my sin. That's what matters. So circumcision, being part of the Jewish people, that doesn't matter. Being one of these safe from the gutter sinners doesn't matter. The goal now is to walk with Christ and become like Him. That's the goal now. And that's what he's saying, keep your eyes fixed on that. Whatever your situation is, don't let that deter you. So then he slides into, what is our focus in this? He says the commandments. Circumcision is nothing uncircumcision is nothing. The commandments are everything. What's he saying? He's not talking about finding our way back to legalism again. He's not talking about putting ourselves under the law again. What he's saying is, if you want guidance as to what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the commandments are a great place to start. If you want to love your neighbors yourself, the commandments are a great place to start. But don't become a legalist in that. That's why Jesus, in his very first sermon, he says, The law says, do not murder. But I say to you, do not be angry. In a destructive anger, do not be angry. In your heart, where you really want to kill someone. And maybe that manifests itself in gossip or slander, destroying the reputation, whatever it is. Control your anger. In other words, he's changed the law from being the letter of the law and the act itself to what motivates you. What's your character? What's underneath? How can your mind be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit? Because that kind of anger is destructive and destroys families and destroys relationships. The law says do not commit adultery. He's kind of working his way through the commandments there, the sixth and the seventh. He says do not commit adultery. But I say to you, do not lust. Why? Because lust treats another person like an object and opens the door to the act. That's why. Jesus is after your character. He's after your heart. He wants to change you and mold you and shape you into His image by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not just a superficial, on-the-outside duty thing. Because when the commandments become that, then you become like the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is about a transformation from the inside out. Amen. 
more than skin deep, if you will, using the analogy of circumcision. It's about your heart. It's about your life. That's what he's really after. So then he throws in this, your condition doesn't matter. You know, when we talk about condition in our culture, what are we usually talking about? I'm in good condition, right? Talking about physical. What he's saying here is, whatever status you have, Whatever level in society you have, whatever situation you've been dealt, your condition does not matter. And isn't it interesting that he begins by talking about slaves? Because everybody would think, are you kidding? You think that doesn't matter, being a slave? A slave has no standing in life. A slave has little possessions in life. A slave has little opportunity in life. They have little happiness and pleasure in life. And Paul says if you're a slave, just show the love of Christ where you are. Be the best slave you can be. Be a servant. Bear God's fruit where He's placed you. A slave that has no standing in life. See, and when we find ourselves in situations like that, even though we might not be slaves, but any feeling we have like that, we want to demand our rights, our entitlements, what we deserve, what we should have, instead of the position that we're in, that we can still bear the fruit. Jesus did the same thing when he had the apostles in the upper room. The last time that he would spend with them, that he wanted to impress upon them, the very first thing he does is he puts a towel around his waist and gets a basin of water and he washes their feet to say, You call me your Lord and Master, but I come among you as one who serves. See, because it's not about status. It's not about worldly things. It's about sacrificial love. That he foreshadows going to the cross for their salvation. That's what Paul's trying to say here. If you really get wrapped up in the world and the things of the world, if you really get wrapped up in your own ego your own importance, you're going to miss it. If the whole measure of your life is by what you do or what you have, you're going to miss it. And what Paul's talking about here is that allow God to provide for you. Don't worry about your prestige. Don't worry about what you need. Allow Him to invade your heart and your life. Allow Him to change your character, your person. 
Allow His Word to speak into your life so you know what that means and what that looks like. That's what Paul's saying here. That he wants to change us and mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. You know, there are wonderful scriptures that talk about our condition and what really counts. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongue of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. See, that kind of boils it down, doesn't it? To the really basic of what the Lord wants for us. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to love our neighbors ourselves. That's really what he's after. And Paul writes about his life in Christ as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. See, when your standard changes, that it now is about life in Christ, being filled with his spirit, about bearing his fruit, his love. Nothing else matters. That's what Paul's trying to get people to see in this passage that initially made no sense to you. You weren't quite sure what it was getting at. You know, oftentimes in movies, what leads to a storyline is greed, corruption, lies, affairs. All the things of the world. And we get drawn into that. What the Lord wants to do is draw you in to himself, to his word. So that you would understand what he wants for your life. And the depth of his love that shows this is when he went to the cross. That Jesus, the word is often translated, it is finished But the Greek to telestai means it is paid for. He has paid a price for you. That we are as if in a position of offering nothing. We're like the slave. We have nothing to commend ourselves to the Lord. Because He did it all on the cross for us. So that we would understand that we don't have to earn it. This is not about being a legalist. This is not about being perfect. This is not about having our act all together. Or to being a success in the world. In the world's eyes. It's about walking with Him. And learning from Him. How to bear the fruit. How to live the life of Christ. That's what He wants.
And I love how Paul ends this section. Because he says something very, very simple. So remain with God. Isn't that simple? So remain with God. Don't get drawn off into the world. Don't get wrapped up in yourself. Remain with God. Or as the psalmist writes in Psalm 46, Be still and know that I'm God. Don't let the condition of life, don't let the comparisons of life make you live a life opposite or different than the life of Christ. Because he loved you enough to pay the price for you. He's done it all. And all we need to do is accept his gift and live into it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So remain with God. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, how often we look at the world around us and become discontent. Discontent with what we are. Discontent with what we have. Lord, I pray that our eyes would be fixed on the cross. To what you gave for our salvation and our transformation. And what you can teach us of sacrificial love and service. And Lord, to the resurrection that shows that you have power over sin. Power over any decay and destruction in our lives. To make us into the image of your Son by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, open our hearts that we might seek you daily. Help us to remain in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.